What is going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast, a 4th of July special edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. And before I get going with the nitty-gritty of today's special edition of the show, I would just like to wish everybody that is watching and listening out there a very, very happy 4th of July. I hope that you are doing everything you can, whether it be eating all the hot dogs you can, whether it be setting off all of the fireworks that you can. I hope that you are doing everything you can to do your part as far as enjoying all of the wonderful freedoms that we get to have here in the United States of America as far as that is concerned. And so just happy fourth to everybody out there who is watching and listening to the show. Anyway, what am I going to be talking about today? Well, for those of you who have been keeping up with me on social media recently, I've of course been asking some questions of you guys. And the first one of those questions is who are the four athletes that you would put on your own personal Mount Rushmore of sports? I've very much enjoyed reading all of those responses, and I have spent a little bit of time today coming up with my own version of Mount Rushmore as it relates to the sports world. And the second one of those questions that I asked you guys about are, in your opinion, what are some of the most quote-unquote American moments in sports history. I've got two of them, and I very much looking for, very much am looking forward to unveiling those to you who are watching and listening to this special edition of the show today. But before I do that, I guess I'm going to start off by unveiling my my Mount Rushmore. And honestly, I've had the first three in my head for quite a bit of time now, at least as far, the first three as far as faces of the monument goes obviously, and it took quite a bit of time to come up with the fourth, but at the end of the day, and it was a really hard decision, trust me, because there's, throughout the, throughout history, throughout the various amount of sports that there are, uh, there are 
obviously quite a few names that I could have picked. But at the end of the day, I just decided to go with my gut and go with the name that my heart was telling me needed to be my fourth face of my sports, Mount Rushmore. And so before I get to that, I'm just going to get the top three out of the way as it relates to my Mount Rushmore of sports. Number, number one is obviously Tom Brady, in my opinion. The GOAT, who is now, as far as the, the list of NFL quarterbacks is concerned, he is definitely the GOAT. And reason why I'm putting TB12 on my Mount Rushmore is obviously the resume very much speaks for itself. We are talking about a seven-time Super Bowl champion, something that is just unfathomable to a lot of people because this man, this man, Tom Brady, has won more Super Bowl rings by himself than any other franchise in the NFL. That's how dominant Tom Brady has been. So, seven Super Bowl rings. Just to, just to continue to run down the list of accolades, seven rings... 649 career touchdown passes, 89,214 career passing yards. I could go on and on about the statistics of Tom Brady, but I'm pretty sure that I've already made my point about the GOAT as far as he is concerned, and just from a intangible standpoint, not just talking about the on-the-field numbers, but Tom Brady's a guy that you could never, you could never count him out because I don't even know how many comeback victories this man has put together over the course of his career, but. I'm going to need more than two hands, more than the two hands that I have to do that. That's just how dominant Tom Brady has been and how clutch Tom Brady has been over the course of his, I believe, 23-year NFL career. That's just how dominant the... Former sixth round draft pick, number 199 overall, has been in his career. And of course, we all remember the picture of Tom Brady from his workout at the NFL Combine back in 1999. And, you know, the man was skinny as a rail, okay? The man was not necessarily the 
athletic freak of nature that we know of or that we think of when it comes to great athletes. He just was not that. But since the NFL Combine in 1999, Tom Brady has seemingly gone out of his way to prove everybody wrong. And by gosh, he's done a very good job of that. And so that those are just some of the many reasons why Tom Brady is included on the Jim Bratton Sports Podcast, Mount Rushmore of Sports. So we move on from TB12 being the first face on the monument to MJ being the second face on the monument. Michael Jordan, of course, the goat of the association, as they call it, the NBA, at least in my opinion. And some of the reasons why I've got MJ on my Mount Rushmore is the six NBA titles that he's won or that he did win over the course of his career. Six titles, three three-peats, which is a just daunting task to for anybody to do and it just speaks to the dominance of those Chicago, mainly those Chicago Bulls teams back in the 90s, but definitely speaks to how dominant MJ was as a player in his own right. So he three-peated twice. He averaged little over 30 points a game in his career. He shot about 49.7% from the field in his career. And much like with Tom Brady, I could go on and on about the on-court resume, but I do believe that I've made my point. As far as the intangibles go with MJ, the one thing that definitely stands out to me as far as his dominance was the flu game, what we've come to know nowadays as the flu game, which is obviously referencing the I, I cannot believe, I cannot remember which NBA final series this was. I believe it was either 95 or 96. I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, just for anybody in the comments, please feel free to correct me. But I believe it was 95 or 96 was the year that the flu game took place. And the reason, the, obviously the reason why it's known as the flu game is because Michael Jordan was battling the flu during this particular NBA Finals series. And 
he plays through the flu. Not only does he play through it, he's dominant during the game when that whole situation was taking place. And that just speaks to the brilliance, the on-the-court brilliance, and also the just tenacity that comes with Michael Jordan. And so that's why I have him on my Mount Rushmore in the number two spot. He's all he's also been a great ambassador for the game of basketball as well. And that's a trend that I think you see with all four of these athletes on my Mount Rushmore. Not only are they dumb are they or were they dominant athletes on the field, but they also carried themselves the right way and were also tremendous ambassadors for their particular sport slash league as well. And so a lot of credit has to go to all four of them from that respect. Switching gears to number three on my list of faces on my own sports Mount Rushmore, number three is Tiger Woods. And there's a lot of reasons why I say that, both on both on field and off the field, so to speak. Let me get into those really quick as it relates to type to El Tigre. Gosh, El Tigre. El Tigre, Eldrick Woods. Eldrick Tiger Woods. What a guy. Uh, what can I say about Tiger? He's won 15 majors, which is second all-time behind the Golden Bear, Jack Nicklaus, who's won 18 majors. Whether or not he catches Jack, I do not know if that is going to be possible at this point, given all that's going on with Tiger as far as the injuries go. But as I've said on this show before, I'm not ready to count out that possibility, but it's just going to be something that will probably not come this year, but in the years to come, I definitely would not count out that possibility. But 15 majors for Tiger. He's been an 11-time PGA Player of the Year award winner. He has won 82 official PGA Tour events, tied with Sam Snead, the great Sam Snead on that list, and which is also nine ahead of the Golden Bear, Jack Nicklaus, who has 73. 
So, if Tiger can't catch up to Jack as far as major wins go, he's he's at least already ahead of him in one major statistical category. And so that's just some of the on-field or on-course stuff in this case as it relates to Tiger Woods. Let me get to the off-the- off the course stuff. Uh, as I mentioned before, all of these guys have been great ambassadors for their particular sport. But the one thing I think Tiger's done more so than a lot of other golfers over the years, at least sticking with the game of golf, is that Tiger just drew, I feel like Tiger just drew so many more fans into the game of golf based on just how dominant Tiger was in the 1990s and early to mid-2000s. He was just, I mean, just event after event after event, win, 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 win. And just, there was really, you'd, you'd be hard to find a more dominant golfer in the stre- from the stretch of the mid-90s, I guess, from 95 to, I'll just say 2005 or 2006 or 2007, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more dominant golfer during that stretch of time than Tiger Woods. And that, of course, had a big impact on the fan base of golf as well because, you know, everybody's wanting to turn on the Masters or the U.S. Open just to see what, you guessed it, what's going on with Tiger Woods. And so Tiger really drew in a very large chunk of the golf fan base as far as that is concerned. And another off-course thing that I really admire about Tiger is just all of the comebacks that he's made, not just on the course, but off, but very well. In addition to that, also off the course as well. This man has come back from adversity so many times in his life. And make of all of the controversies what you... Make of them what you will, whether whether it be the cheating on his wife or all of the car crashes or blah, 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 blah. Make of all of that what you will. That's a conversation that can be had another time. But just the way Tigers just continued to battle back from everything 
that's been thrown his way is definitely something that is very remarkable in my opinion. And that's why Tiger, Eldrick Tiger Woods, as weird as that is to say, his first name is actually Eldrick, by the way. Fun fact. But that's why I've got him on my Mount Rushmore at number three. Number four, and this is where the tricky part of picking the fourth face of the monument comes into play here. Because, obviously, I've been going back and forth on a number of different names. And could have come up with any number of arguments for any one of them. But... After some brief reflection uh, earlier today, I've come to the conclusion of who I think is the fourth face of my Mount Rushmore. You ready for this? You ready? It is George Herman Babe Ruth, who, when you think about it, you think about how dominant, just to switch gears to a little bit more of the modern era before I get back into uh, George Herman in particular, we, you see how dominant Shohei Itani is. I mean, I don't want to open up a different can of worms when I say this, but of course you could make the argument that Shohei, Showtime, as he's called, is the best player in baseball right now. Me, of course, being an Atlanta Braves fan, would very much like to put Ronald Acuna Jr. into that category as well. And I could just go back and forth with somebody about Shohei Itani versus Ronald Acuna all I want to. That, but that's a conversation very much for another time. But why am I comparing Shohei Itani to Babe Ruth, you may ask? Well, Babe Ruth... And the reason Shohei is so dominant and the reason I bring him up is because, I mean, we see, we see what he's doing. And not only is he hitting the ball at an extremely high level, he's also pitching the ball at an extremely high level as well. He's probably one of the best pitchers in the game today. And Babe Ruth was essentially the Shohei Atani of his era of Major League Baseball because Babe Ruth was not only a very dominant hitter with a very large amount of home runs, which I'll get into 
here in just a second over the course of his career, but he was also a really good pitcher as well. But let me get to some of those career statistics for the gosh and and as I'm as I'm about to run through the list of nicknames Sultan of Swat, King of King of Crash, the Great Bambino. Um I can't help but hear the the I mean everybody's seen the sandlot, right? If you if you haven't seen the sandlot at least once, then I think you need to go back and reevaluate your life. But I just can't help but hear the list of names that all the kids from the Sandlot are using when they're telling Scotty Smalls about who Babe Ruth is. I just can't I just can't help but hear Hamilton the Babe Porter in my head right now saying the great Bambino just a little bit of a sidebar about all of the nicknames that Babe Ruth has had. And again, if you have not seen The Sandlot, what better day to do that on than the 4th of July? If you have, if you have not seen that movie, you need to reevaluate your life because you have definitely definitely been missing out. But Babe Ruth's career numbers, as far as hitting is concerned, I mentioned the home runs. Uh, 714 of them is the number, which, is, which to be fair, over the course of time, has been broken multiple times, of course, with Hank Aaron and that's that just that's just another way of me showing my Braves homerdom, if you will. But Hank Aaron has broken Babe Ruth's home run record, and of course, of course, I'm gonna put a asterisk next to this next name for obvious reasons. But Barry Bonds has also broken Babe Ruth's record as well. I could keep going on and on about Barry Bonds, but that's very much a conversation for another time. But for the Babe, 714 home runs, 342 career batting average, 2,000 873 hits, and on the mound, he posted a 94-46 win-loss record, 2.28 ERA. He, he is a seven-time World Series champion, a 12-time American League home run leader, and a five-time American League RBI leader. And when you look at that resume, you just have to 
thing to yourself, wow, Babe Ruth, what a guy. What a guy. And, of course, the main reason why I had to put him on Mount Rushmore, I'm sure, and I'm sure that he was obviously a great ambassador for the game of baseball at that time as well, much like all of these other guys were with regard to their professional sport. I've, obviously, I was not alive in the early 1900s, and so I didn't get to see what sort of impact Babe had off the field. But just sticking from a on-field standpoint, the reason why I'm putting him up here is because it's just because of that dominance as both a pitcher and a position player. And so those are just some of the reasons why I'm rounding out my my Mount Rushmore with Babe Ruth, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, and Tiger Woods are the four faces of the Jim Bratton podcast, Mount Rushmore of sports. Now, the second question that I asked you guys prior to this special edition 4th of July episode of the show is, what are some of the most quote-unquote American moments in sports history, and there's been plenty of them over the years. But I've actually got two that I would like to relay to you guys, and the I sort of prefaced the question that I asked on social media about what are some of the most American moments in the history of sports, I sort of prefaced that question by saying that I was pretty sure that I know at least one of the top, what one of the top answers was going to be. And to be fair, I did get some other responses to that question not having to do with this one this event, but I did see this event mentioned in the comment section multiple times, and the event that I'm referring to is obviously the Miracle on Ice hockey game from the 1980 Winter Olympics with the U.S. national hockey team led by head coach uh, Kurt Russell, led by head coach Herb Brooks. What what did I say, Kurt Russell? But uh, just, just a quick sidebar, speaking of Kurt Russell, uh, if you have not seen the movie that was made 
about this called Miracle, uh, you, of course, obviously need to go back and reevaluate your lives, but I would, if you have not seen it, I would very much recommend that you do so. It is not just a great movie, just from the movie perspective, but it also tells a tremendous story about what the inner workings of that team were, maybe that we didn't get to see in real time during the 1980 Winter Olympic Games. It's a phenomenal story about really much more than hockey, to be quite honest with you guys. But, and of course, the reason I bring Kurt Russell up is because Kurt Russell is, of course, the actor who plays Coach Herb Brooks in that movie. But back to the actual Miracle on Ice event and the reason why I think it's probably the most American moment, in my opinion, in the history of sports is because is not just because of the on ice aspects involved with it. There was the tremendous time of turmoil that was going on in the world as well because this was obviously a hockey matchup featuring the United States and the Soviet the then Soviet Union and of course not only was that a big rivalry from a hockey perspective but we were also in the middle of the Cold War with the then Soviet Union at that time and it was just a big global phenomenon, if you will. But Team USA were obviously tremendous underdogs during those Olympic Games. And nobody thought that, I mean, the Soviets had won the Olympics in hockey. I don't even know how many times. I remember a scene from Miracle when they're talking about the Soviets and bringing up how many times in a row they had won the gold medal at the Olympic Games. And so nobody thought that Herb Brooks and this ragtag group of college kids essentially, was going to beat the Soviet Union at their game. And by gosh, they did. Nobody thought they would do it, but they did. And of course, we all remember the famous call from the great, the outstanding Al Michaels as the final seconds of that clock were winding down. I mean, we've all heard it. Do you, do you believe in miracles? Yes. 
Yes, we do. He, he, he didn't say that last part, but I was just throwing that in for more emphasis, if you will. But do you believe in miracles? Yes. And nobody thought that they could do it, but they very much did. And just watching the celebration of all of the guys on that team after that game, just you can't, it, it brings, brings tears to my eyes just as an American watching it. And I know that it brings tears to a lot of other people's eyes as well. And that wasn't even the gold medal matchup. They, Team USA, go, went on to play Finland in the gold medal matchup and, of course, won that as well. The Soviets, to be as fair to them as I can in this regard, uh, they actually won the silver medal that year. I believe, but wasn't the gold medal, obviously. And that was, of course, won by Team USA. And the answer to the fundamental quest, and this is the main, one of the main reasons why, just from a general perspective, in my opinion, it's this is the reason why a lot of people do believe in miracles, especially in the world of sports. And so that's the probably the top American moment in sports history, in my opinion. That's number one. Number two, and this is something that maybe... A lot of people don't think about right off the bat, but once you say it to them, once you tell them what it is, they, it, the light bulb sort of magically clicks on in their head and they go, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that very well. And of course, I'm talking about the... 2001 World Series in the aftermath of the, of course, September the 11th terrorist attacks. And I was not, I guess I could not remember this. Obviously, I, I wasn't thinking about it at the time. I was six years old at the time. But just from a historical perspective, this is really mind-blowing to me. The World Series, the 2001 World Series, took place just seven weeks after 9-11 and was a really big boost for the morale of the country with that. Take it with just the fact that we had the World Series 
seven weeks after 9-11. It's just crazy to think about for obvious reasons. And the World Series was obviously postponed during this time. And... Of course, not only, and obviously we had to postpone quite a few things during that time. Obviously, the NFL was kicking, getting ready to kick off during this time period. And not even from a sports perspective, but people's lives had to be put on hold. During this time, certainly a lot of people's lives were lost during the September 11th attack. And it was an emotional time for everybody in the United States. For obvious reasons, and just the fact that we could get as back to normal as we could and have the World Series seven weeks after those attacks is remarkable. Uh, Not a lot of people think about this. At least right off the bat, but I feel like once you mention it to them, they sort of, the light bulb sort of comes on and they go, oh, okay. I remember that, but I want to focus on Game 3 of the World Series specifically because that was the first game at... That was the first game that was played at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx in New York City. The 2001 World Series was, of course, between the New York Yankees and the Arizona Diamondbacks. But Game 3 was the first game that the Yankees hosted in that World Series. And the first pitch of Game 3 of the 2001 World Series was thrown out by none other than the now uh, former president of the United States, George W. Bush. And certainly there were a lot of scary implications of that because you've got to take into account that we had just been attacked seven weeks prior to this. And... Of course, one of the scary, the probably the most scary thing coming off of that is who's the who's the person that's throwing out the first pitch at the World Series? Oh, it's none other than oh, no big deal. It's just none other than the president of the United States. But I think it showed a lot of strength for. W to do that, and not just his personal strength. I mean, obviously he went out that he had to go out there 
in a Kevlar vest, which obviously any president of the United States is going to do, generally speaking, when throwing out a first pitch, I would assume, but especially in the wake of 9-11, that's obviously a big deal. And I think it was very important for the morale of the country for W to not only throw out the first pitch, but just it, it had to be a strike. It had to be right over the plate for not just, I mean, obviously we like to see anybody that throws a first pitch, you'd like to see that be a strike. I mean, we don't want to see anyone come out like, gosh, how many botched first pitches have there been over the years? The first two that come to my mind are 50 Cent and Tony Fauci. But, and and no, this is not the time where I get into an argument about Tony Fauci, but anybody, anybody who saw that first pitch that he threw out had to know that it was a disaster. The ball went nowhere near home plate. And just his, his, Reaction was kind of funny because he was like, oh, okay, I messed up. But anybody watching that just had to think to themselves, come on, man. You got to do better than that. But back to W and back to not just focusing on W specifically, but just for any president of the United States or anybody that was a high-ranking official at that time, the pitch had to be a strike. And by gosh, that ball went right over the plate. Right over the plate. Smack dab in the middle of the strike zone. Not just from a stand from the standpoint of that being a tremendous first pitch for obvious reasons that have to do with a first pitch, but just for just to tell the world that despite being attacked seven weeks prior to the World Series the United States of America is not going anywhere anytime soon. Our, st- our strength is still there. Our resolve is going to be stronger. We are going to get through this devastating period as a country with our heads held high and with the full weight of the country behind us, and that was just the message that we had to send 
not just to the United States, but obviously speaking to the rest of the world as well, that we had to send that message. And that is another reason why I consider that first pitch specifically even more than the actual fact that we were playing World Series games and later on NFL games during that time. That's why I consider that pitch specifically to be one of the most American moments in the history of sports. And so, with all of that being said, I guess that is going to wrap up today's special edition of the show. I want to thank you all so much for watching and listening today. I hope you all have fantastic fourths of July and do again like I was saying earlier do everything that you can to enjoy all of the freedoms that we have in the United States of America because they should not they should not be taken for granted but with all of that being said that is going to wrap it up for me today Happy 4th, everybody. I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you guys soon.